Welcome to the Heartbeat Church Podcast. Our vision is for people to live in the image God intended them to be in. For more information visit heartbeatchurch.org.au Now, Judges, Judges chapter 16 recounts basically the fall of Samson. Now, if you don't know the Samson narrative, basically Samson is called in Judges chapter 13 to be the deliverer of the Israelites, to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Now, Samson has a unique birth situation. Samson's mother is barren and an angel visits her and tells us she will have this son. Now, in Israelite history, every time a barren woman has a special son, this son goes off and does something remarkable in salvation history. And when Samson is born, the spirit of Yahweh fills him. He is blessed. And this spirit stirs within Samson. And unlike all the other judges who, when the Spirit falls upon them, goes off into battle, Samson is dictated by his eyes and sees a beautiful Philistine woman. And there he wants to marry her. And that sets up the narrative where Yahweh is controlling the scene. Samson thinks that he's doing whatever he wants, that his eyes control what he does. But in reality, even that marriage, which was wrong, is all part of Yahweh's plan. And this all leads into a series of events where Samson eventually gains up killing the Philistines, doing what he is called to do. And at the end of Judges chapter 15, Samson kills 1,000 Philistine warriors with a jawbone. And then the narrative finishes with Samson judged Israel for 20 years. And we think that is the end. But is it? We have Judges chapter 16. Then when we began in the book of Judges, I said Judges is a spiral. How the literary narrative is, is things get worse and worse and worse. And if you remember all the way back into October, we looked at Othniel from the tribe of Judah. Now, Othniel is the ultimate judge. You can't fault him. And then we get all the way down here to Samson. And we see here the ultimate contrast. If Othniel has three ticks, Samson has three crosses. Othniel marries a woman, Aksa who desires that, Israel, that, that her territory is enlarged so that she can have more children, more descendants, that there is more blessing in the promised land. Othniel fights against the Canaanites to remove their threat in the promised land. Othniel is the type of man you want to be leading. And we see here the contrast with Samson. Samson doesn't want to lead. Samson doesn't want to fulfill his calling. Samson doesn't marry an Israelite woman. He said he's after Philistine women. Samson is, ironically, the embodiment of Israel. We'd like to think that the Israelites are like Othniel, but the reality is Samson is who the Israelites truly are. 
For like Samson, Israel is born in supernatural circumstance. Like Samson, the Israelites are called to be set apart from all the nations, to be a light to everyone about what following Yahweh's Torah looks like. But like Samson, the Israelites lust after foreign gods, just as Samson lusts after foreign women. And what's amazing about Samson is he possesses tremendous strength. No one can contain him. No one can contain the strength that he possesses. Yet he is not a man. For Samson fails to control his impulses. Yes, strength was a sign of manliness. In fact, hair in the ancient Near East was a sign of fertility, a sign of masculinity. The greater hair you had, the more masculine you were. Samson on the outside seems like a real man, but deep down he is a boy. And as a boy who cannot control his impulses, as a boy who leads by what his eyes see, the narrator now is giving us a brilliant insight into the downfall of this terrible, terrible judge. And we read here in Judges chapter 16 from verse 1. One day Samson went down to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we will kill him. Now it seems like they have Samson trapped. Samson here, as is natural within him, lusts after foreign women. And seeing how his first wife's marriage miserably failed, here now he can have what he wants desperately, sex without strings attached. So going down to this city of Gaza in the heart of Philistine territory, he sleeps with this prostitute. And this sets up the culmination of events that will happen between him and Delilah. Samson, by this stage, has built up a reputation for himself. He is Philistine enemy number one. And now it seems that they have him trapped. He's here in this room with this prostitute. And all that they will do is wait until morning and capture him. But Samson does something unexpected. He gets up out of bed at midnight. And kind of like a middle finger to the Philistines, he walks out, somehow sneaks past the guards, we're not told how, grabs the gates of the city. Now, if you understand something about ancient Near Eastern gates, these were the, this was the symbol of security. The gate was the place of politics. It was the place where laws were decided. It was the place where soldiers hung out. It was the place where kings would build to show that their city was safe. Samson grabs the gates, tears them apart, and walks some 60 kilometers back into Israel with these gates. Now, normally destroying an enemy's gates is a sign of military victory. But when Samson puts these gates down, 
There's no rallying cry. There's no, let's gather the troops and take out these filthy Philistines who were in our land. No. It's just Samson being selfish and self-centered. He uses that tremendous strength that he is gifted with for his own personal satisfaction. Now, at this point, we're not told here directly in the narrative, but the Philistines are furious. They're being humiliated. Gaza now has no gate. The city is unsecure. So they're looking at a way to destroy him. And they get it with Samson's own impulsiveness. Where we're told in verse 4 that Samson, that after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. Now, one of the depictions of Samson is of this huge hulking figure, this giant of a man. Well, that verse tells us that Samson wasn't this ginormous man. In fact, Samson from the outside looked like someone who was completely normal. And in a world which believed in magic and rituals and different gods, the assumption is that somehow Samson has performed a ritual to his God and has gained strength this way. So now in order to avenge the destruction of their gates and humble and humiliate Samson, they now turn to this woman to discover the secret of his great strength. And the desperation of the Philistines is seen in how much money they offer Delilah. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver, or shekels, as it would have been in the ancient world. Now, there's estimated to be five Philistine leaders. If each of these five leaders gave 1,100 pieces of silver, the math is quite simple. She's going to get 5,500 shekels, or pieces of silver. That means nothing to us. But in the ancient world, that is an astronomical figure. Just to give you a bit of context, when the judge Gideon took from the two kings of the Midianites all their treasures, he took 1,700 pieces of silver. And with those 1,700 pieces of silver, he was able to live like a king. Delilah is being offered basically five times the amount that a king needed to live. This is how desperate they are to destroy Samson. Delilah gladly takes on the task. One of the interesting things about Delilah is that she's often portrayed as this temptress, seductress with these wily charms. Honestly, it's not how the narrative portrays her. Delilah is as subtle as a brick to the face. For she just tells Samson straight up, please tell me where you get your great strength. Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could 
subdue you. Now, okay, now admittedly, Samson loves Delilah. And perhaps initially he's thinking that she just, as part of being lovers and close, that she just wants to know the secret to her lover's strength. And so Samson gives her an answer. In fact, he gives her three different answers to the secret of his great strength. And it kind of gets a bit repetitive, but basically what happens over these three times is that Samson will reveal a different secret and Delilah performs the action that Samson said will make him weak. And then Delilah calls out to Samson that the Philistines are attacking him. And these secrets to Samson's great strength are, firstly, he reckons, that if he's tied with seven fresh bowstrings, which ironically breaches his Nazarite vow, for bowstrings were made of animal tendons, and fresh ones mean they came freshly from a dead animal. And part of being a Nazarite was not touching dead things. So there's Samson's breaching one of his three requirements of being a Nazarite. Two, he says, if he's tied with new ropes, which as readers, we know that's not going to work because Samson is already being tied up by new ropes by the tribe of Judah and they just broke apart. And in the third time, getting more dangerously closer to the truth, Samson says if that Delilah weaves the seven locks of his hair, then he'll become as weak as any normal man. Now to us, this seems ridiculous. What a stupid secret to success. But remember what I said earlier. In the ancient world with magic, sorcery and different gods, these would just seem like rituals that Samson may have undergone to gain his tremendous strength. But what's mind-blowing for us as the reader is that when we read this, we think, how could one man be so stupid? Okay, admittedly, the first time when she asked a secret for his strength and he lied and nothing happened, you think maybe she just wants to know the secret to my strength. But when she goes out and does exactly what he says that will make him weak, you'd start to get a bit suspicious. You start to think, this woman does not love me. This woman does not have my best interests in mind. Perhaps it is time for me to end this relationship. And the question that I have asked is, what on earth was Samson thinking? And some of the suggestions are that Samson enjoyed the danger that Delilah meant for him. Some say that he, that he wanted Delilah to have power over him. Some suggested that perhaps Samson deep down wanted the normal life and by giving up the secret to his great strength, he would no longer have to fulfill his call. But whatever the reason, the core of the issue is Samson loves Delilah. And we all know the expression, love is blind. Now Samson, he is ruled by his eyes. But now we see 
he is not only he not only become physically blind later on, but he is also spiritually blind. Samson is a fool. There's no question about that. And in the contrast between the book of Judges, as we've seen in the spiral, we've encountered some fools already. One of them called Eglong, the fat king of Moab, who is tricked. And the other is Sisera, who is the warrior who Jael kills. Now, in both of these accounts with Eglon and Sisera, Eglon is portrayed as this fat, useless king who gets the sword from the left-handed Ehud that sticks in his belly. Everyone's meant to laugh at how ridiculous he is. Sisera, the fearsome warrior who enters into the tent of Jael, gets the tank peg through his head. It's meant to be humiliating. All that points to is the stupidity of Israel's enemies. But now at the end of the cycle of the judges, the idiot is actually now Samson. The idiot is being portrayed as the Israelites. Sin is blinding. That's the underlying theological message. Samson is a fool, and he's meant to be a fool, because this is what happens when you start sinning. This is what happens when you lead your life by what you see. You do stupid, ridiculous things. And that cycle of Samson telling his secret, Delilah doing it, killing the Philistines, it matches in many ways the cycle that the Israelites go through. They commit sin, Yahweh delivers them, they commit sin, Yahweh delivers them, and on and on and on. And they never, ever learn. For their true love is not Yahweh, but foreign gods. And if the Israelites deep down love foreign gods and not Yahweh, and if Samson is representative of the Israelites with his love for Delilah, this is his love that Delilah will use against Samson. And after the third time when he humiliates her, she, uses, she says this to him from verse 15. How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. Now she's got him. Remember that Arada told us that Samson loved Delilah. That's very significant. In the Hebrew Bible, love is not used very often to describe the feelings that a man has for a woman. It's only used very rarely. So that's very significant here. It's showing us that Samson is just besotted by this woman. He loves her. He can never get rid of her. But even with this love, we're told here in verse 16, and when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Samson almost gets to the point where perhaps I would rather death from Delilah than her whinging at me. 
And eventually Samson does tell her the secret of his great strength. In fact, he tells her from all of his heart, which is a Hebrew way of saying he is completely and openly transparent. There is no secret. A razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. It's a very interesting confession from Samson. For so far, we have met this man. He has not once tried to follow his Nazarite vows. He willingly touched dead things with the honey from the lion, picking up the jawbone, in fact, having those animal bowstrings around his legs. When he has the wedding feast, we presume that there is alcohol and that he was drinking it. Samson has not shown any interest in following the calling upon his life, except for the hair that flows down the back of his Now, it's very, very, very interesting. After sharing his great secret, what did Samson think Delilah was going to do to him? Despite going after falling asleep and Delilah once again telling him, Samson, the Philistines upon you, Samson wakes up. Up and makes the assumption that from verse 20, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. What do you expect was going to happen? So, deep down, we also see in this man that he recognized that, yeah, okay, I'm a Nazarite, I'm set apart by God. But also, it shows his supreme arrogance. He assumed that Yahweh would never ever leave him nor forsake him. That if he revealed to this woman Delilah the secret of his great strength, and so far she has shown that every time he tells it, she will do what's meant to make him weak. What did he expect would happen? What he expected was that even if his head was shaved, he would still possess his tremendous strength. For Samson assumed that Yahweh would always, always be there, regardless of what he does. And despite vacantly breaching two of the vows of Nazarite, the third one is too much. And Yahweh has left him. That's quite depressing there. It says, but he did not know that Yahweh had left him. And after Yahweh has left him, the Philistines seize him and ironically gouge out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. Samson, at this moment, he has been emasculated. Hair was seen as a sign of masculinity, a sign of fertility. 
and losing his hair. Samson has lost Yahweh's presence in his life. And in losing Yahweh's presence in his life, Samson is now as weak as any other man and is now vulnerable to the Philistines. And in taking out his eyes and in shackling him and making him work around grounding the mill in the prison, Samson is now worse than a slave, worse than a woman. He's now at the level of an animal. He's doing the job that cattle would do. Life could not get any worse for Samson at this moment. But then we're told in verse 22, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Ah, there's some hope there for Samson. Perhaps all is not lost. The book of Judges is in the section of Scripture known as the former prophets. And in many ways, this narrative, it predicts what will happen to Jerusalem hundreds of years later. And when what we call the later prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the 12 minor prophets, will foretell about the time of exile. At this moment, Samson is going through his own personal exile for his sin. And like Jerusalem, the citizens of Jerusalem, hundreds of years later living there, they assume that as long as the temple of Yahweh remained in Jerusalem, Yahweh's presence would always be there, regardless of what they do. And eventually Yahweh's tolerance comes to an end and the Israelites are exiled to Babylon. But in exile, the Israelites say metaphorically here, their hair grows back. That was actually part of being in exile, having your head shaved. It was a humiliating thing for men and for women in the ancient world. But despite exile, despite the humiliation they experienced, their hair will begin to grow back. It's a sign that, yes, Israelites are terrible, that Samson is a terrible, sinful man, someone you do not want as a judge. But yet despite that, despite the exile, despite the punishment, Yahweh is there. The hair will grow back. And after spending, who knows, months, days, even years in this prison, blindly grinding mill all day, the lords of the Philistines decide to gather together to celebrate the defeat of their hated enemy. And then they want to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, the god of the Philistines, for he has handed over their dreaded enemy. And as they're celebrating, as the wine is flowing, as people become rejoicing, someone comes up with a good idea. Let's bring out Samson for our entertainment. As Samson is blindly dragged out, with a boy leading him, Samson makes quite an innocent request. He asks the boy, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean 
against him. How Samson's hair is starting to grow back. Perhaps something amazing will happen. Perhaps Samson has learned from his exile and his judgment about the deadliness of his sin. And in one final moment, Samson gives this cry of prayer up to Yahweh. Oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And grasping the pillars, he makes one final request. Let me die with the Philistines. And with one push of supernatural strength, he brings down the temple of Dagon. All of the people in there, the 3,000 on the roof, all the leaders of the Philistines, everyone in there is killed at this moment. And we're told that in death, Samson kills more than he ever did when he was alive. And while the Samson narrative seems to finish On a high, we think, well, Samson learnt his lesson. He's done something good for once. Actually, to kind of ruin it, he doesn't. Even his prayer, it's selfish, it's self-centred. All he wants is to be avenged for his two eyes. That's all he really wants doesn't care about the fact the Philistines have taken over the land of Canaan. doesn't care about the fact that they are now claiming the promised land given to Abraham is actually the land that they're saying is their own. But what Samson does ironically at this moment is he fulfills the calling placed on his life. He begins to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And there, Samson's family comes up and buries him. And that's the end of the judge narrative. And it ends quite depressingly. We started here so high with Othniel, and it seems that things were looking good, that the tribe of Judah was going to come in and take over the land of Canaan to wipe out the threat of the Canaanites. And in the end, all we've got here is Samson, a man who even after his exile and punishment still does not recognize Yahweh as being supreme. Even his prayer, he says, Lord God. Not capital Lord, not Yahweh, just Lord. Adonai Elohim, any God out there. He still does not understand the calling on his life. So what is the point of the Samson narrative? Samson's life in many ways is a parable of sin. He is a fool. No one can deny that. He's a very strong fool, perhaps a very good-looking fool, but he is a fool nonetheless. And Samson teaches us the danger of sin, of how it blinds us. And exactly like the Israelites, Samson fails to recognize that Yahweh has limits to his tolerance. And like the Israelites eventually will be stumbling around blindly spiritually as they keep falling deeper and deeper 
into sin. They fail to recognize the one who will bring shalom, who will bring peace to their lives. As I said before, several hundred years later after the death of Samson, those in Jerusalem assumed that Yahweh would never ever allow Jerusalem to be destroyed. That as long as the temple remained, Yahweh's presence will always be there. But in the fires of exile, in the midst of shaved heads and shaved beards, the prophet Isaiah foretells in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, a shoot will come from Jesse. In the midst of judgment, in the midst of exile, in the midst of pain, Yahweh does not leave his people. There is always hope. Even when the head is shaved, the hair will begin to grow back. The book of Judges shows us that the Israelites completely and utterly failed in their calling. Their society was not one based upon the Torah, but looked closer to one like the Canaanites that they were supposed to eject from the land. But what this points us to is the failure of humans. And it points us to the desperate need of a king, of a leader, of one who will come this from the root of Jesse, one who will come up from that broken stump, one who will model what it means to be a leader, one who's not ruled by his eyes, who does whatever is right, what he says, but one who follows Yahweh's rules and Yahweh's commands. And friends, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if today, if your head feels shaved, if you feel that life has fallen out of control, what the book of Judges, and especially Samson, tells us is that even when your head is shaved, the hair will grow back. And that gives us hope that Yahweh will never leave us nor forsake us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. As we looked in the life of Samson, we've seen a man who really did not have a heart after you, had a heart after his own wants and desires. And we see the utter calamity that brought and the foolishness that he lived his life. And so for us today... Help us to learn from this man. For us, we love things that are not from you, and that blinds us to what's happening to us. Help us, Lord, to see Jesus as the one that brings freedom, that brings hope, that brings deliverance. And so for us today that feel like our heads are shaved, that feel like we are living under the fires of judgment, we know that the hair will begin to grow back that you will not leave us nor forsake us and that you have forgiven us and that you've given us new life. So we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Heartbeat Church podcast. For more information about services, ministries and sermons visit heartbeatchurch.org.au.